You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. How do you like my sleeveless uh, basketball jersey? What do you What do you think about that? I, I picked this up on Saturday at the ballpark. I, I noticed it right away. Sun's out, guns out, baby. Um, I can't help but noticing it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, you know, it, 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 I understand the whole sun's out, guns out thing. At least for some people, right? Right. Um, you know, I'm not one of those guys. But I, I'm telling you, this is not the kind of shirt that I would normally wear. The the jersey that they handed out, which was clearly going to be a giveaway in 2020 because they are all number 20 on them, and it's 2021. So it, right. the White Sox are clearing out what would have been given away a year ago, obviously. But it was a nice gift. It was a nice handout on Saturday, especially because it was a rain out. Yeah, a good time. I got to observe a couple innings of baseball, and, and then uh, the rain came, which was such a typical Sox move. Like, I felt like they could see the radar. They knew they weren't getting that game in. But if we could just get it started, we could sell as much beer as possible. And I understand it because we're coming out of a pandemic year where they made no money. It was their first full capacity weekend. At least you can use the tickets from Saturday as a voucher for future games. Suspended games, so the next day they take the field and finish the game. And then they go and they play the second game later on on Sunday. I got all of that. The only thing I would suggest to the White Sox in the future is when you're going to play games like that, Spot start somebody for Lance Lynn on Saturday. Right. Why waste your best pitcher or arguably one of your top two pitchers, in my opinion, on this staff right now by getting him just a couple of innings and then he doesn't get to pitch the bulk of the game because it gets suspended and played the next day and you've used him up and he's not ready again for another five days. Like I didn't like that. Well, and if you don't want to, if you don't want to even use a pitcher in that scenario, you know, I mean like maybe talk with Tony and be like, Tony, the chances we finish this game are so low. Maybe we have somebody else come out there and just pitch the first few innings. And if we, if the rain comes, we don't use up Lynn. And if the rain doesn't come, we use it like an opener. I mean, am I crazy to think that? Like why, why are we always thinking inside the box instead of outside the box? Well, an outside the box move would have been to have, say, one of the other starters who's on their bullpen day come out and do an opener, right? Like they did with Keuchel earlier in in the season when he had to come in and do basically a spot start when uh, Rodon had the stomach issue, right? So you could have you could have very easily done something like that too, and just said, "Look, you're going to come out. You're going no more than like two innings, three if you're really efficient, and then we'll just we'll deal with the bullpen ramifications afterwards." Because if the game goes forward, yeah, fine. So it just turned into a bullpen day, and Lynn starts tomorrow. We'll just push everybody back a day. But yeah, you're not crazy to sit there and sit and think that with one of the best groundskeepers in the history of the game, who also watches the weather like a hawk, that he wasn't sitting there going, "We're maybe getting in three if they're quick." Right. You know, maybe four if we're super quick. If it's a no hitter on both sides, we're maybe getting four in, but we're not getting this game in. And yeah, fine. Go ahead. You know what? Give you those of you that went on Saturday. Give you guys the the fan experience. You got the Carlos Quinton Memorial number twenty suns out guns out jerseys, <laughs> which I'm I'm sure that's when they were started for. I love that. Yeah, but you're you're not gonna you know waste Lance Lynn, waste three innings of Lynn 
you know, other than if you're just sitting there going, hey, look, we're not sad about the fact that, uh, you know, we, we just saved Lynn a couple of a uh, couple more innings or a few, you know, a few dozen pitches or something like that to, to give him some extra rest, uh, you know, because we are, I, I think we are run, running into the part of the season where maybe it is worth looking at the innings that yeah. the, the starters are running into, right? I want to talk about that here in just a moment. But yeah, th- one of the things that I was bringing up, my buddy Ken, he he and his wife Maria own Family Waterproofing Solutions. Remember, they're the proud sponsors of the show. Uh, they do all kinds of stuff. Uh, you, know, you got bowing walls, you got rising concrete around the house, you got foundation cracks that need repair. They now have drainage solutions for your yard and gutter services. Take care of your sump pumps and your window wells and your window covers and all that good stuff. Ken and I went to that game. We had a great time. We hung out over at Cork and Carry at the park. And that was one of the things we were talking about was the way that this roster is currently constructed and the problems we're having with all of the injuries. You have to be smart about everything you do. Like you can't miss a trick. I think using Lynn when the likelihood he was going to pitch an awful lot of innings was so low was not smart. And remember, you can check out Family Waterproofing Solution at FamilyDry.com or call 708-330-4466. What a difference family makes. But I don't think that's smart, Ed, and I think you have to take advantage of everything. But now you have all these moves on Tuesday. You see Billy Hamilton coming up. Good news is Tony LaRusso's told him he's no longer a switch hitter. I love that. I love that he's told him that. Like, if you're going up there, you're right. only hitting from one side. Very smart. Jake Lamb goes down because he's he's on the IL now. He's injured. Uh, you say goodbye to Luis Gonzalez, and I don't think I'm going to miss him because he isn't that good. Bye-bye. And you see Gavin Sheets get elevated, which we have been clamoring for on this show. I'm still waiting on Jake Berger as well to help your offense out, but against righties. I would have him in there for the next seven to 10 days, every game, give him a chance to get going. If he gets going, you should be in there all the time. And you're also going to have to play matchups, figure out, you know, which pitchers match up against the right guys, which hitters need to be inserted at certain times. You have to be very smart right now because your team is beaten up. The Indians are beaten up by injury. You're beaten up by injury. You're lucky you're up by a couple of games. That could change very, very quickly. And don't look now, but the Twins have gone from last place to third place. And even though they're they're well below 500, even though they're double digits behind you, they are not done. They're actually in better shape than you are and the Indians. And they may climb their way back into this. So you've got to get every win you can. I don't expect this team to play over 500, but I really need this team to play 500 right now and limp their way into a better position when you see these trade acquisitions that we're all waiting on, when you see the return of Jimenez, when you see some of these guys get healthy. We have to limp to that point right now, and you have to be smart about your lineup construction and how you're using pitchers until you get to that point again. See, and I I disagree with the you got to limp them along because the Sox are very fortunate that they are beat up with position players and it affects them offensively, but their pitching staff is largely intact. You've got Kopech still on the IL, but your starters are all there. Now is the time to put the Indians away. They are bringing up guys that could not hack it at the start of the year. They are running guys out there that they don't want to run out there as far as starting pitching is concerned. And you've got to put them away now. And with the Twins, yeah, the Twins can make a run here, and you're right, the Twins are in better shape in terms of their health overall than the Sox are, but you've got that 11-game lead, and you still need to try and put some distance between you and them. And if you can't do it now, and you do have to play 500 ball and just sort of maintain the position and hope that an acquisition comes along that's going to help you offensively, 
or hope that, you know, Aloy Jimenez is going to come back and immediately start hitting, or Luis Roberts is going to come back and immediately start hitting, you're really pinning a lot on injured guys coming back and coming out smoking. And what you're worried about there is that the Indians also get healthy at that time too. And that Shane Bieber comes back and his shoulder feels better and he's throwing like he's supposed to, or that Plesak's finger gets better and he's throwing like he's supposed to. Savali, the same thing. Because if they get their big three back in the starting rotation and they have managed to, in the interim, find some offense, that's going to be something of a disaster because I feel like with their pitchers and the injuries, there's a chance that they could get back to being better given what they're being replaced by than what the Sox should be able to squeeze out of, like you said, being smart about the lineup, using Billy Hamilton in certain situations, platooning Gavin Sheets and Adam Engel or Gavin Sheets and Hamilton so that Sheets is playing against the righties and you're giving Engel those days off, you know, or you're giving Hamilton days off to rest, you know, whatever he's feeling, or you're not having to necessarily use Andrew Vaughn against a guy that you know is going to eat him for breakfast, lunch, possibly dinner. I really want the Sox to continue to try and put the hammer down, and this is going to be the test for all the people who are down on Tony La Russa being the manager. I think this is the true test. This is where either those people who hated this move are going to be able to sit there and be feel vindicated over the next few weeks where this is really on the manager, or this is where he has a chance to prove those guys wrong. And you know, it's perfect to have an old school manager because uh, the old school guys, they're, they're immediately going back into, this reminds me of this White Sox season. Like my dad sat down and talked to me for like 25 minutes the other day where he just laid out, this is just like 67. This is, we got no offense. We just got to go out there and pitch. And, you know, the difference is we're going to get offense in the back end, so we should be fine. Like, that, not that the case all the right. time? Like, you go and you find a previous season, and you sit there and go, it's just like this. And, uh, you know, guys like LaRusso's age, <laughs> you know, LaRusso might remember the 67 season as being much younger. He wasn't managing at the time, but he's around the same age as my father. These guys understand that you can find different ways to win a ball game. At least they believe it. I know that some new age baseball fans will sit there and say, that stuff's out the window anymore. It doesn't work anymore. I mean, I heard Benetti the other day harping on the uh, the amount of home runs that teams that win actually hit in ball games. That home runs are almost like a direct effect on you winning a ball game. So he's pointing at offense and offense is key to everything. But you're going to have plenty of fans that are out there who are sitting there saying, hey, you can still win with this offense with that kind of a pitching staff. You know, uh, offense wins games. Uh, defensive pitching wins championships. And you have this staff, and if this staff can keep you in the games, it might be ugly, but you you still have to find a way to continue to push forward here until help finally arrives. So you're saying we can look to past seasons and see if there's a correlation between winning now and ugly fashions or some other season where we've won in ugly fashions? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I... Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boots specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. 
six. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. All right, let's talk a little bit about pitching. All right, and then I want to get into uh, this Eduardo Escobar stuff, okay? But let, we, we are t- talking about pitching, right? Because if that's the key going forward, we now we need to scrutinize the pitchers, darn it. Yeah, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna make you all nervous about pitching right now, okay? Oh, great. Here we go. Uh, so far this season, I'm gonna tell you how many innings have been pitched so far this season by each one of our starting pitchers compared to what they actually pitched in 2019 and what they pitched in the short of the season of 2020. And I, I'm gonna illustrate a point here. Uh, so Lance Lynn, we'll start right off with him. 208 innings pitched in 2019. 84 innings in 2020. And 78.2 so far this season. So at this point, I'm not worried about him because the guy has pitched long in his past. And I think he actually had the most innings pitched in the shortened season in all of Major League Baseball. All right. Yeah, he was he was up there. If he wasn't the most, he was right at the top. Okay, let's take a look at Lucas Giolito. 176 innings, uh, 176.2 in 2019. In the shortened season, 72.1. He's already over that. He's at 87 and two-thirds. Okay? So we're already above his level from 2020. And we're getting to that right. with most pitchers now. You're either at or past, just passing what you did in the shortened season last year. Well, sure, because we're, we're at that point in the season where we've basically played the 2020 season. Right. Dylan Cease, 58 and a third innings in, in 2020. He only had 73 innings pitched in 2019. He's at 75 and two-thirds. So he's already at the most innings he's ever pitched in his entire life. That might be a at concern. At least in the majors. In the majors. Okay, but that might be a concern. All right. Carlos Rodon, this is the one that scares me the most. He pitched seven and two-thirds innings last year. He only pitched 34 and two-thirds innings in 2019. He only had 120 innings in 2018, and he's up to 78 and two-thirds already. Like, that guy there makes me nervous because we're, we're always told when guys have not ramped up, it takes seasons for guys to ramp up. So what is the expiration date on Rodon's arm? And Dallas Keuchel, 63 and a third last year. The year before, only 112 and two-thirds. Back in 2018, he had over 200 innings. He's at 86 and a third right now. So the thing is... I'm not worried about Keiko, though. Okay, so who are you worried about? Let's dive into that. Because basically, we're at or surpassing what all these pitchers did last year. And we have a couple of guys who are about to head into uncharted waters for their entire career, or at least over the last couple of years. And that is what's making me nervous because I feel like we've been very fortunate with our pitchers and our pitcher injuries not actually happening. And we've got guys that supposedly have strong arms. But don't you feel like, like, don't you have nerves that something's on the horizon? Like, I, I, that's what's making me nervous. And I feel like it's like that in all of Major League Baseball because of last year's shortened season. But like, like Rodon, Rodon's got to make you a little bit nervous right now, right? So I'm not worried about Lynn and Keuchel because, as you pointed out, they've had 200-plus inning seasons. These are guys who know what to do. And in the case of Keuchel, that 112 from 2019 was because he was he and Craig Kimball, if you recall, 
weren't signed to start the season. They were signed mid-season because of the draft compensation and all that. And it was, you know, goofy games like that with free agency. So I think Keuchel, I think Keuchel knows how to get back to 200. I don't think he's going to hurt himself. Doesn't he have to build himself up? Like, I mean, do you think that that's a real thing where a pitcher, like if he has never done it or if he hasn't done 200 innings in a couple of years and it's hard to get back to that? Or do you think that it's because he's a vet he'll figure it out? I don't think any pitcher was going to top 200 this year. I, I think Lynn and Keiko. I think these guys where I'm, I'm concerned is, is that I think everybody was expecting 180 to kind of be the upper limit for most pitchers. So, but I'm not worried about Lynn or Keiko getting hurt. Let me put it that way. I'm not worried about them doing something where they ruin their arm. I do think you're going to have to start monitoring their innings at some point, And I think you might see them, you know, go through a little bit of a loss of velocity, a little bit of loss of movement, you know, maybe some control issues, maybe like a dead arm kind of a thing. So I think they'll need some some rest or some shorter outings, but I'm not worried about their ability to to handle it or the idea that their body doesn't know how to get back to it. Lynn in particular, I'm not worried about because he's been very recent. Let me throw this out to you then. Let's just look at Carlos Rodon and let's think of all the factors that currently surround him, right? he He's the best that he's ever been. He looks great. He's, he's somebody that you definitely want to ride into the postseason and you want available in the postseason. Not only do you have to worry about the fact that he has not done, I mean, he's he's not a guy who ever in his career really went, I don't think he's ever had a 200 inning career, okay? But here's a guy that's been several years before. Not he, in, in the majors. The closest he came was in 2016, which is now five years ago, he went 165 innings. Okay, so we're going to need more out of him this year if he's going the entire season. And then you add in the fact that he's a free agent next year, Right. So the Sox are now going to balance like, well, first of all, do we think we can resign him? And are we resigning him? And do we think this is all going to work out? And if it does, are we going to protect him? And if we don't think we can resign him, do we just ride him? Like a like an NFL coach would ride a running back right into the ground, you know, and have him have 350 carries because he ain't going to be on my team next year, right? And then with his agent being Boris, at what point do you think down the line there might be pressure like, hey, you got to give my guy a break. I don't want his arm to fall off because it's his contract year. Like there, this is something I see down the road that I'm starting to notice as I look at pitcher innings and look at the personnel. I feel like that's something that's bubbling that we're going to see, let's say, back end of the July, some point in August. I don't think the Sox are going to be able to resign Rodon, to be honest with you. I think he is already this year, he has priced himself out of what they are going to be willing to pay to bring him back, given that Kopech is ready to join the rotation. But that said, I don't think they're going to care about what Scott Boris thinks because they're probably not going to worry about trying to resign him. So I do think that the Sox are just going to try and ride Carlos Rodon hard and put him away wet. And we'll be getting tweets from his wife about how he's not that kind of a stallion, but he's definitely a stud. Something along those lines. <laughs> I, I just, I, I think they're going to try and, and go with him until he bucks them. But given the fact that they do want him in the playoffs, I think that they're going to start to monitor him. And I, I know a lot of teams have gone to a six-man rotation. The Sox haven't yet. But I do wonder if that's something they're going to look at to try and take some of the wear and tear off. And I wouldn't be surprised if Rodon got a phantom injury at some point where there's a lull in the schedule, you know, um, where they th- they feel like they can get away with uh, bringing somebody up to to take some to take some starts and not have to use Rodon. The other thing is, is I wouldn't discount the idea that the Sox might look at the starting pitching market at the deadline too and see if there's a guy that can come in 
and add to a six-man rotation or go to a five-man and give some of these guys some some time off. But I think with Rodon, I think they're just going to ride him and see how far that he can go. But I do think he's going to hit a wall and because he's never, he's never, ever approached 200 innings. Um, Cease is also the same way. I mean, in, in Dylan Cease's career, including the minors, his career high in innings for one season was 2018 between uh, Kannapolis and Birmingham. He logged 124 innings. He hadn't come close to that at any other level. And that includes, obviously, the majors where, as you pointed out, uh, he topped out at 73 a couple of years ago, and now he's at 75. Well, he's at 75.2, so he's he's at the most he's ever going to get. You know, he's ever gotten. But that's you know that's another guy that even in the minors he wasn't pitching that much. So what is he going to have left in the tank? Those two guys are the guys that worry me the most. I, I you know Giolito, I don't know. He his career high was 176. I think you know if if we're halfway through the season. Halfway through his starts at 87, for him to get to stretch to 170 or you know somewhere there and abouts, it's probably what you wanted from him. But I think he's gonna, you know, again, I think they would all benefit from having a sixth guy in the rotation for that second half. And maybe that's Kopech. Maybe he comes back and that's what he is. And I was at Cork and Carey at the park on Saturday. Had a great time hanging out there. That place is hopping before, during, and after every White Sox game. It's I think it's because of the food. Oh, yeah, it should be. Uh, you, you walk in there. That food is incredible. I was able to show off to my friend Ken, like, you know, the entire burger menu. He went and grabbed a great one off of there. He had the one that you loved the best, the one with the egg on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So good. I'm trying to remember what the name of that one is. That is the Southside Irish one. Okay. And then they got the Latino burger, which is the one with the uh, queso and chorizo and avocado and chipotle mayo on it. The cork with the pork that has the pulled pork on top of it. They got the Chicago style that's got Italian beef on the burger along with a sausage and mozzarella. I mean, that... That is insane. They've got the award-winning burgers, the great starters and sides, all of your favorites for the ballpark if you just want to grab a couple of hot dogs and sit indoors or outdoors and enjoy yourself before, during, and after the game. They have a full bar with great craft beers available on tap. Check them out whenever you get a chance to get down to the ballpark. It is a great place to start your game off. Heck, we hung out there when we knew that the game was going to get delayed on Saturday. And it's the perfect place to go and hang out before you head over to the ball game. 33rd in Princeton, right there in the shadow of the ballpark. Check them out online at corkandcarryatthepark.com. Now, back to the pitchers. Kopech, of course, I think is going to get worked into things. And I saw him on Saturday sitting in the bullpen. He looked healthy. He looked good. He was joking around with Evan Marshall, who yeah. some some girl was hitting on. I thought that was great. Like this one girl in the stands kept trying to get his attention. Was her name Sarah? And that's great. Sarah Marshall reference. I got it. Okay. And 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 then Marshall called her down and then she was sitting there talking to him. And then she and her friend were giggling. And I was like, man, to be a ball player in the summer in Chicago. Like hey, these guys, like they, they just have to look in the crowd and pick out one they like. Like they, they, immediately these two girls are swooning and he's like, ah, the brunette, she's the one that I like. And then he has a big conversation with her Copic sitting next to him and they're, 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 they're laughing and talking and everything else. And this is like during the first inning. But anyway, I saw Michael Kopech out there. I was thinking, gosh, we got to get him back there soon. It sounds like his last workout was good. I would expect him to be back pitching very soon. And then you move him in. Jimmy Lambert's another one. But Lambert's one of those guys getting mentioned as a possible trade piece for that the White Sox would have to give away. And I would think at this point, Rick Hahn 
is having some difficult discussions with other general managers who are naming players that he actually sees as contributing players on this team. Like, right. like supposedly, Eduardo Escobar's most recent price, and this is all rumor that's been popping around, but supposedly they asked for Zach Collins and Jake Berger. And for Han, he's got to sit there and say, wait a minute, though. Collins is somebody I need in this anemic offense that I can use in certain matchups. And Jake Berger is somebody I might be calling up. So by giving away one of them, I'm, am I really helping my team by grabbing a rental in Eduardo Escobar? And I think that's where things are delayed. I also am not sure if the Escobar thing is real. Because let me tell you what my theory is. My theory is the White Sox went to Pittsburgh and Rick Hahn got asked for somebody like Michael Kopech or something ridiculous and said, that's insane. And then went around the league and everybody's got a high price because they're trying to hold up the team. So the owner of the team, Jerry Reinsdorf, goes to his mouthpiece, Bob Nightingale, and tells him, oh yeah, we're going to get this thing done. And the whole idea is get the Escobar thing out there and make it seem imminent in the hopes that somebody comes down off their asking price. And that's what I think is going on here, because when have you ever seen like imminent deal being made and then day after day after day passes by and there's no real concrete news, especially during a trade deadline season? Like we're not talking about offseason stuff. We're talking about trade deadline season and we're just focused on this one player. And I just feel like one, it would be tunnel vision to just be stuck on one guy. But two, I'm not sure if he's really the guy or if this is just a tactic to try to get the price down while they're trying to find another guy to stand at second base instead of Danny Mendick or Leary Garcia. Well, and that's the hard part is, is that you don't know what's posturing, you don't know what's real, but you do know that typically if a deal is going to get done and it's relatively straightforward and simple where the Diamondbacks in this case have a player that the Sox want, the Sox are willing to give up the player that the Diamondbacks want, there's not a whole lot to it beyond that. Right. But yeah, if the Diamondbacks are sitting there going, hey, you know what would look good behind the plate for us right now would be Zach Collins. Or if they're just sitting there screwing with him, like, yeah, give us your backup catcher. You know, even though I don't think the Diamondbacks are hurting for catchers necessarily, but give us this guy's, you know, give us Zach Collins. And then, by the way, go and figure out what your backup catcher situation is going to be because you don't really have anything, you know, behind Collins other than maybe Mercedes. No, they're, they're, you know, there's going to be some, there's going to be some negotiations where the Diamondbacks are going to want guys that the Sox can't give up or don't want to give up. But then, you know, I think as fans, what we have to do is one, be able to sort through what's posturing, what's real, what's made up, but also understand that you know it does not make sense for certain players to go out and give up a guy that's going to help you. Okay, so. If you are going to have a team ask for Zach Collins, for example, if that team is the Pittsburgh Pirates and you're getting Adam Frazier back or you're getting Brian Reynolds back, as we've talked about those two guys, then sure, we'll figure it. Semi Zavala can come up and be a backup catcher. You can go and make a trade for somebody who's barely on the fringe or some guy, you know, some veteran who's sitting at a AAA club and figure that out. That's not, you know, that's not the end of the world. But if you're going to trade away Zach Collins, who is a guy that you might be positioning to actually take over the catcher position in a year or two, or if, you know, if Yasmani Grandal fails, we're going to see an awful lot of Zach Collins if Grandal hurts his knee again or something. Yeah, you're not going to, you're not going to mortgage the present for a rental of a guy like Escobar, who frankly, I'm annoyed with the fact that he's the only name out there as a rumor because he's, he's just not 
that good of a player to where we should be that excited about him coming in and saving this team. He is a guy that might be able to contribute something, might be able to stabilize something, but honestly, I'd be more excited about Escobar coming back if he was going to come back and play the Larry Garcia role, and we'd be like, oh, you get to work this guy in too. You know, he had 30 home runs a couple of years ago. He might be a good guy to take some pressure off of Yohan Mankata, who keeps coming up with, you know, illnesses and, and, and having some problems, or... Uh, you know, allowing somebody to move over and take over for Abreu for a little bit. Or, you know, giving Danny Mendick a rest against guys. Or, you know, not having Larry Garcia on the team. Something like that. I'd be more excited about that. Eddie Escobar as, a, as an everyday player, yeah, I don't. I would actually be more mad at Rick Hahn if he gave away a useful piece that's going to come back and bite him down the road. Like Jimmy Lambert, we were just talking about needing a six-man rotation maybe. I'd be almost mad at him for that because I just, I, I don't, I don't like the Escobar move. I understand why you would make it, but this guy is not a season savior by any stretch of the imagination. And they, if they don't get him cheap, don't do it. Well, look, he's not a season savior, but you need to get a guy like him and you need to add a couple more. I mean, you're going to have to get a bullpen piece, but you're not going to make that move until like, let's say three, four days before the trade deadline when right. you're able that, to find that's a, a, that's a last second. Yeah, you're able to you're able to find a guy uh, that a team wants to get rid of who they're not going to be retaining next year. And you're able to get him for a player to be named later in some cash. You know, I mean, you're going to get one of those when you're on, on the back end, I think, of July when you're going to add it. You still have to find another person to roam the outfield. I still believe you still need another bat out there oh, yeah. besides Escobar. Escobar can't be the only thing that you go out and get. But if he's one of, let's say, three moves that they make including that relief pitcher and one additional bat, and you're piecing things together, he's still a solid move. Look, he, he's going to hit over 30 home runs this year. He's already up to 17. I, I, you know, his, his, his on-base percentage is a little bit lower than what he normally does. I mean, I think right now, currently, he's actually under 300 for his on-base percentage, but he's slugging he is, pretty well. He's under well. 300. Right. Get that you don't love him, and he's only a rental for 80 games. I get all that. I do think that the White Sox are going to have to give up somebody that's sitting in their top 10 prospects. I, there's going to be somebody that it's going to hurt to give up. But I don't I don't understand giving away anybody for a guy like Eduardo Escobar who you also have plans for this season. And that's the thing. When you hear the names that are out there, I can see why they might sit there and say, hey, look, Jake Berger, I still see a possibility where he could actually fill a role coming up from the minors that we could use in, in him in platoon situations that might lighten a little bit of the load offensively. So why would I want to move him? Why would I want to move Zach Collins? Because right now you're you're moving Collins in there at times because you're looking for some pop, not really versus left-handed pitchers, but against righties. So the, that's why I was surprised to see the names that the that the Diamondbacks are looking for. I mean, they're, they're such a they're such a bad organization, and I don't think they're turning it around next year. I would have thought we could have gotten him interested in guys that hadn't even made it yet or weren't expected to show up here like at some point during the season, possibly. Or, you know, that's that's why I was surprised by the names that I was seeing. And I don't like the idea well, yeah. if the White Sox have tunnel vision on Escobar right now. I don't like that either. I'm really hoping that my idea that they're just putting this out here because they're able to use Bob Nightingale, because in my opinion, Bob Nightingale prints anything he's fed. It's true. It's and true. And I mean, like, if somebody feeds it to him, he's out there. He can't wait to tweet it. You could send him anything. You can get it out there. So if the Sox are like, look, we got to get the price down. So we got to let people know that we're close to somebody else. But at this point, those teams have got to be starting to think the same way I'm thinking. Like, hey, it would have happened by now. Like, and that's the thing. 
So that capital, like the Scara team, they they've shot that shot at this point, and so I'm I'm worried about what they're going to end up giving up. I'm I'm concerned about what might be heading back in a package, but there's no denying that a move has to be made. You know, you look at the top 30 prospects that the Sox have, and there are guys on there that are not going to contribute now and may not contribute in the future. You know, Michael Rodolfo, Blake Rutherford, these are not guys that I, I would expect to see up here anytime soon, and in fact may not have a future with the team at all. So that I would consider to be getting, you know, giving it up cheap, right? Listen, in the end, there's a reason why a Stever I'd move on from or a young pitcher more than I would move on from a Lambert, which some people think is going to get dealt here before the deadline. Because Lambert, you might need. Okay? Like we talked about here earlier in the show, there's going to be some issues with innings on these arms, and you're going to have to find guys that can come up and spread things out coming out of a shortened season. And you you need to keep your one strength strong. And after Michael Kopech, I feel like it's Lambert, even though, you know, Lopez, Reynaldo's down there now all of a sudden pitching well, but I don't believe in that. That's like that's well, like fool's goal. He's pitching well now, but for the season, it's an 8.19 ERA and a 2.056 whip. So you tell me if he's really doing all that well. I'm never buying Reynaldo Lopez on this team again. I'm okay with Lambert. I still believe he's a guy that you might need down the stretch. I still think he can come up and he can give you good innings. Because we've also seen it. We've seen it with Lambert that he is capable of you know of coming up and, and handling himself. And the reason why Stever, you know, I'm soured on is, is that he's been given opportunities too, and he's never really shown no. much no. of anything. So I would hate to see for a rental like Escobar, a guy who, yes, he's hitting home runs, he's got a nice OPS, his batting average is down, his on-base percentage is down, he's just a rental. For you to have to create another problem now because you no longer have a backup catcher or because now you got to go out and look at starters instead of just relievers, he's not worth it. It makes no sense. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.